You're listening to the Get Fucking Real Show. Strap in as your host, Lisa Cherney, takes you on a ride full of GFR moments. From powerful messages to exclusive interviews to untold stories of super shitty moments before big successes and even real-life confessions. Lisa's been mentoring millionaire entrepreneurs for over 20 years, coaching top coaches and tapping her mighty woo-woo side to mentor the best of the best spiritual peeps. It's time to bring on the straight talk from successful, soulful entrepreneurs, inspiring you to live without regrets, to create your legacy, and be unapologetically you. And now, it's time to GFR. Life is too short to be a slave to your own dream Cause I'm working too hard And I want to feel so alive I jump out of bed because I love my life Living on my terms, I know that I will thrive Being myself, clarity will thrive So I'll stand down and be J-U-I-C-Y Hey, y'all, Lisa Cherney here. Welcome to the GFR show. We have a juicy episode where we're talking about connection with animals. Do you feel like you have a special connection with animals or has there been in your life a particular animal that you had a special connection with? Well, our guest today is the founder of an animal communication and energy healing school. Her name is Joan Ranquette. She is a Hay House author, and she's been an animal communicator professionally for 25 years and has a school called the Communication with All Life University, and is also a client, which I'm super proud to say. And I am so excited for you to get to meet her and hear her story because she, she says that she went through a dark decade of the soul instead of a, a dark night of the soul because she was in denial for so long about this being her life purpose. Instead, she was in Hollywood, in the film business, and an actress. So she shares candidly about the kind of parallel journey between her relationship with animals and also pushing and striving to create this other dream that she thought was really you know, meant for her life. She's an amazing human being. And she has expertly navigated grief, both with siblings, sibling that died and her soulmate horse that died that really was the catalyst for her being a leader in this field. And I can't wait for you to perhaps have a new connection, awareness, belief, acceptance around the animal empath phenomena and journey, and perhaps being more open to where you are a natural empath. For our GFR squad members, you will get to see me have my first experience of animal communication. Uh, it's a pretty cool experience. She guides me through it. I talked to her uh, with her dog, Delilah. And so if you are a GFR squad member, you'll get that bonus uh, video. If you're not a squad member, this is a great time to become one because it's a pretty cool experience that I have with Joan. And she guides you through it too, so you can do it too. Uh, so you can go make sure you uh, 
grab that membership and then we can meet you on the next community call that we get together as well. So I can't wait for you to meet Joan and hear her story and uh, really feel into your heart where you may resonate with what she shares. Without further ado, Miss Joan Ranquette. Joan Ranquette, welcome to the GFR show. Thank you. I'm so excited. I am so excited for you to be here. We've been talking about doing this for a while. Y'all have heard in my intro that Joan is a client, um, has become a friend and somebody I admire. So I am so excited to have this time to actually probably learn some things I don't know about your story. Well, I'm excited because I think when we are together, fire happens, fun fire. <laughs> so it'll be good. I agree. I agree. It does. Fire does happen when we are together. <laughs> so you are an animal communicator. You have an animal communication school and it's fucking weird, <laughs> right? Like in the big scheme of like the world, it's a pretty unusual fucking cool and weird thing to, you know, to, to, to do, to be. And I remember when you know, we met in a very divinely orchestrated way. I led this thing for uh, leaders in this community and you were on, and then you reach out to me and you're like, I think you can help me 10X my business. And I'm like, let's talk. And it was just like, kind of, it, it, it was a catalyst that happened really quickly. And I, and I remember when I was telling my family sitting around the table and I was like, yeah, I've, you know, this gal and she says this animal communication school and, um, and we're actually not a huge animal family yet. We're a very intuitively like driven family. And so it, you know, I remember my daughter going, what? <laughs> and like, like Dr. Doolittle, which I'm sure you hear all the time, probably get offended by, but you know, it's, there's, no, I, you like it? Do you like the Dr. Doolittle connection? Yeah. Well, people called me that when I lived in Denver like a million years ago. So it, it's kind of fun. For me. And it's, it's fun. you know, it's kind of fun that there is this, character that's in the zeitgeist you know that kids can grow up with that gives them some kind of orientation it, it's obviously not the same but it is you know there's some the magic of it and the connection with animals and and so it was just you know my daughter sharing things with my daughter always has me drop into explaining things in a different way and helping her hold things in a different way and so i'm excited for her you know, to hear this interview, um, to get to know you better and animal communication, communication better and everybody else too, because it's weird, but it's totally not it. it and I think what I hear you always talk about is, is that it's so, it's not weird and it's really there for you to discover. Like it, it's just waiting for you, you know, to discover it. And so this, I'm excited for you to tell your story because it is about you discovering it and resisting it and then discovering it. Yeah, so let's let's just dive in to kind of like your like your journey, your as you call it, your animal empath journey to where you are now with this, having the school and holding the space for this big vision and for animals on this planet. But it wasn't always that way. <laughs> and so where do you want to start in your story to the to the gal that was resisting going there? <laughs> Well, um, it's a big topic. Um, <laughs> we'll hit the highlights. <laughs> I mean, I, I was definitely 
So I always say that uh, the people that, that I attract to me, people that were somewhat the weirdo in, because they loved animals so much, they were overly sensitive to everything. They preferred usually animals to people. And um, I always say, and now you're home because that's what we are. And the, so that's who I was. And it, it started as a young girl. I wanted a, I think horse was the first word I, I knew. I wanted a horse more than anything in the world. And so when I was seven years old, my mom had taken me to a horse show because that's what she just would, would encourage it, but you know, we were never gonna get one. And so she took me to a horse show and there was a raffle. And so my mom bought five chances. And so the horse came in in all his glory. And I looked at my mom and I said, that's my horse. And she said, oh, honey, no, you know, she didn't want me to be disappointed. And, and that, oh, honey, just like, don't, don't make a story for me. I don't know if I'm going to be disappointed. I think I've won. You know what I mean? Right. So like I've already you I've only bought five chances and all these people have bought chances like you know in other words there's not a chance in hell you're gonna win that horse so but I knew I won the horse like I knew as sure as I was sitting here that I won the horse I went to this mall this new mall afterwards had just opened that day and there was a wishing well and I threw all my pennies in that I won hanky panky. That was the worst name. And then I got home and I was out playing in the backyard with my friends, neighbors, and you know, I, I wasn't really close with them. So I did this whole thing of like, I was older than them. And I'm like, I want a horse today. Yep. I want a horse today. Everyone. I want a horse. I want a horse. And then I hear the phone ring and it's my dad who never swore. And he was up in the house saying god damn it and he just could not stop laughing and swearing and i was like i won the horse i knew i'd won the horse and so wow <laughs> that's awesome we went, yeah so we went to go see the horse that night and um uh so here we were thrown into this whole like what do you do with a horse you can't bring him into the backyard so <laughs> i got thrown into this world of a horse which is the only thing i wanted more than anything in the world. And um, so from there, we eventually my, you know, he was a green horse, which is a young horse untrained. I was a green rider, a young untrained rider. He was a gentle giant. He was a gentle giant, but eventually my parents decided that I couldn't keep him. So again, that like decision for me. And so I was seven. So they promised it at 10 I could get another horse if I learned more about horses so of course I was child labor then the next thing you know I'm child labor at some Arabian farm down the street and um, I just worked and did whatever they told me to do which was really I ended up helping with their stallion so I think I saw horse porno at like way too young an age but anyway would you um, say you, you started uh, horse porno like I helped with the stallion like I had lined him up for his mare, so I watched. Oh, 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 forgive me for being slow to the uptake. <laughs> yeah. So when you well, say you I helped with I... the stallion, a stallion is someone who, like, the horse is meant to impregnate 
other horses. Yeah. And so, okay, got and it, I, got I, it. So horse porn, your, all right. Yeah. <laughs> and because I've heard your show, I know that, you know, sex gets thrown in a lot. So I thought- Totally. I, I, yeah. I've seen more than my share of horse sex. So um, anyway, but I worked at the Sarah farm for a couple of years. I was in the 4-H, you know, like I'm eight and I'm working at the four, at the Arab farm. But I got to ride and I got to take care of the horses. And then I, you know, I really bugged my parents. Like I was relentless. They thought I'd forget. They got me a guitar. They got me a piano or, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like they got me going, but it was like, no, at 10, remember 10, I get a horse now. So I got this horse that didn't really like me, but I wasn't going to give up. And uh, so it was a whole journey. Like that horse led to another horse and this and that and the other thing. And, and then even in college, and I was now, were, you, were, your, were your parents animal people? My, um, I joke that I was raised as a small lap dog. Yeah, my dad just like, there's not one single picture of my dad and me as a baby where the dog isn't also on the lap. And um, my mom was a dog person, but my dad was a cat guy, but learned to love dogs and loved dogs so much that like, yeah. So they both loved animals. And apparently my grandmother on my mom's side was was an equestrian so because like i look yeah. at my family and if my kid wanted a horse i would it would be like my husband always says that he's glad we had a girl because if we had a boy he wouldn't know what to do with a boy and i just feel like if i had a horse lover as a kid i wouldn't know what to do so i was just curious how much out of the comfort zone of your parents was this whole horse oh, thing but it doesn't it was completely but still they had some kind of animal orientation that they yeah okay but still completely outside well, their comfort zone. You know, what's funny is that my mom, so of course I have two younger sisters and a brother, but my brother didn't become a horse person, but my sisters, of course, are going to have a horse. So now the next thing you know, my parents are buying a barn and at, at 11, we're designing the barn. We bought a piece of property and we designed our barn and all the pastures and everything. So we all kind of learned together when I was really young. And, uh, but what I was going to say is that I didn't know that I was communicating with horses necessarily or the family dog or cat, but I, I did know I was deeply connected and I was very connected in nature, like riding through the woods. I, I could have done it with my eyes closed. I knew where to duck and where to jump. We're jumping this log and we're ducking under this branch. We're going, right? Like I was in tune with that whole world but I wouldn't have called it communication. So I go to college, get a degree in theater, but there's also an equestrian team that I, you know, was on. And so I rode through college and then ended up in New York City and didn't, that's like the zero horse time. I was gonna say, that's um, pretty anti-nature uh, and animals environment, New York City. But the first thing I would do is get a rental car and like, woo, I'm in the Berkshires. I, and I also, um, I, I knew where the stables were but I didn't, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't, that was really dedicated to acting and, and that whole world. And I wrote, so it wasn't until I got to LA, but there's a big, big piece in there that's, that's I'll share in a minute. It wasn't until I got to LA that, that when I, the first thing I did was I got a horse and the rest is history. So so how come you just but, chose to go into acting? Like when you knew, like, 
obviously there was a point where you were deciding what to major in in college or what you quote unquote wanted to be when you grew up and how come the horse thing didn't factor in there? Well, I mean, I just assumed that I was going to do really well and I'd have a million horses. I didn't think anything, you know what I mean? Like, you know, I didn't, my mom always said, you can't make money as a trainer. And, um, but she can make money as an actor. (laughs) She had more confidence in that. That's funny. It is really funny. The other thing that my mom, I remember I said when I was young, I'm going to breed horses for a living. She's like, well, you'll go broke because you'll never sell any of them. And uh, so I knew like the animal business was not something I would go into. And yeah, so I picked acting. And, but I, when I was about 15 and I, I know your daughter's a performer, I, I started doing commercials. I had an agent and I, you know, I, I did a, I, I worked a couple days a week for a horse trainer, but I also um, was already, yeah, I had an agent. I did a lot of stuff, but uh, so I loved that. And I, I used my degree in theater every single day, every day. And I don't, yeah, it was perfect. Because one of the things that I've discovered is that when you're an empath, you choose arts because you think that's where you should go. And you don't know that there's a place for what, what it is you feel. Like there isn't, it isn't, you know, now it's coming out there, but so, you know, when- For those that don't know what empath is, if you could define that, and then if you could further expand on why an empath gets attracted to art. Okay, so an empath is somebody who is empathic. They feel things, they, they could be intuitive. It tends to lead toward being psychic. Like you are, uh, you're a big feeler. Like if you walk into, a lot of times an empath can't do large crowds. Uh, a lot of times an empath, because they feel too much. They get overstimulated, but they don't know that that's what it is. And they just think that they're the weirdo. An empath will often feel, um, take on other people's stuff until they learn boundaries. An empath will be very, uh, yeah, overly sensitive and have not a dark night of the soul, but a dark decade of the soul. So, um, (laughs) like you. (laughs) Yeah. And so then you, you tend to have, you can isolate, like you have, you have to be around other people that are somewhat like you and it's not easy to find except that you can find them in the arts because that's where we all dump into is the arts and and then eventually you know I have a lot of friends that are still in New York doing you know getting post-pandemic back in rehearsal for Broadway shows and I have a lot of friends here I live outside LA now and they're you know ramping up and in TV and stuff but you know a good chunk of us went off and you know became a massage therapist or some in some form of healing even if it's a therapist you know so it sounds like you've it sounds like in your experience the empath before they really know they are an empath and can really call that out they are it's like a heat seeking missile it's like where can i find my people where can I be not as stimulated, you know, by crowds or sort of like, where can I kind of have my own internal 
journey and feeler and be all that. It's like, oh, that's the arts because the arts is about emotion and is about yeah. capitalizing on all that. And then- And expressing. And expressing. expressing too, because there's no expression. Right, right. And then you know? they somehow find their way out to sort of what is the next thing. So that's what I'm like hearing you say, like some people stayed there in acting, but then there were, you know, those of us that kind of knew there was more. Um, and so do you feel like that whole time that you were focused on acting, you're working as an actor, that you were in some kind of denial? And if so, how did that, like, how, how did that manifest? Um, so the, the thing that happened between New York and LA for me is I had to go back to Seattle because my sister was dying of, of cancer. She died of a brain tumor. And oh, wow. in that time, yeah, I, I became like, I, I don't know why, but in my early 20s, before she was even sick, I was really always drawn to like macrobiotic food and eating healthy and taking care of my health. And I always exercised. I, I must have some big past life years. I mean, like meditation for whatever, even though I was a wild party girl at times, you know, before I went to New York college, I meditated, I did yoga. Like I did all these things at a time when it was not popular. I didn't really talk about it, but I did it. And um, it was very important to me. And so as my sister died, I really, as she was dying, we, I tried to make this a very conscious journey. It was 1986 and it was, it, my family thought I was insane, right? Like, well, let's get therapy. Let's go to grief counseling together. Let's, let's move through this together. And they just thought I was high on crack. Um, and I brought all these alternative healing books home. So I was really already there, right? Like I was already into healing and all of that in the 80s, mid 80s. And my family just laughed at me. And so what ended up happening then was I, so after my sister died, I did theater in Seattle, but then I moved to LA and tried to get going. And ironically, I was um, a dog walker for the stars. Like that was the first job I, <laughs> I waited tables, but I, also, I walked dogs. I dropped some dogs off at the cheers set. I had, um, yeah, I could drive on a Paramount with a bunch of pugs. Um, so I ended up doing that. And like I said, I, I, my intention the minute, you know, after my sister died, when I moved to LA was, I will ride again. And ended up with this, taking care of a horse. That horse died and eventually got my dream horse. So my world was out at that barn every day with my dream horse. And she was my like spiritual teacher. She really was my spiritual teacher because as I was recovering from the grief of my sister dying, I was really into like Zen Buddhism and all of this stuff. And I was learning about my uh, mindfulness. And if my horse, if I were riding her and I started thinking about my audition in a few minutes, she would just buck and she would just do something that got my attention. Spook, like, you're not with me. You're not with me. You're not with me. You're not present. So she was very much a big part of, well, she's the whole part of the whole thing, right? She, she was the first teacher. 
of all of this. At this point, you're really seeing that this horse, your dream horse that you've always wanted is your spiritual teacher, is helping you to connect with being mindfulness or even just the meaning of mindful because there was this direct feedback, which I find fascinating about horses, um, when you weren't really with the horse, when you were getting distracted. And this was a big healing time for you after your sister's death. So what happened next? Well, um, ironically, my other sister, who it was two years after my sister died, was diagnosed with AIDS. And I had oh, to, uh, my family, yeah, my family finally started listening to me about alternative healing. And, and my sister is still, so then she kind of went from AIDS to HIV and she's still alive and she even has a kid. So, oh, beautiful. Um, yeah, so there's um, there was a lot that happened with my family in terms of healing. So yeah, so that was a whole big thing that was kind of very parallel to to having to having this horse, this spiritual teacher. And in the late '80s, when I first so '88, when I got Pet One was her name. I we used an animal communicator. She would come to the barn. And it was so much fun. And I followed this woman. And as I was following her around, she would tell me, you know, well, you could do this. And I thought, there's no way I could do this. Um, but I found it fascinating that even though I kind of knew the horse that she was talking to when she'd go around from horse to horse, I knew exactly, like, I knew what she was going to say next. And I thought, oh, I, maybe I could do this. But I didn't follow, you know, I kept telling her I was going to study with her. I'm going to study with you. And, and I didn't. And I, you know, was more embedded into the, you know, film business than ever. And um, I started, I had screenplays that were options. So that was, I always say that as a screenwriter, I was always a bridesmaid, never a bride. Like I'd always have things optioned. I was hired to rewrite people's crap script but I never you know my nothing of mine got into production I was so close so anyway and there's probably I that had, I would imagine that 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 phenomenon of always a bridesmaid never a bride just has you keep trying to be the bride like there's a like it's probably hard to stop yeah. trying because you're waiting for your big break so that could be very yeah. distracting yeah it's going to be any minute yeah very distracting so that was my main track, if you will. And on the one side, I had on the uh, one side of it, I had this whole horse life that I loved more than anything in the world. Like it got me up in the morning and got me out to the barn. And then I would come out, come home to West Hollywood and work out and start my day by like 9.30. And uh, on the other side was this whole crisis with my family. You know, my sister, because when I say that, like, oh, and then she, she was downgraded to HIV, it was still, like, a freak show for a few years. I mean, she was off and on sick, so sick, I can't even tell you. So I'd be flying back to Seattle for that. So in the middle, I'm trying to maintain, like, I'm doing this thing. So I've got, and I loved the whole magical thing of having these anim the animal communication and being that connected to my horse. So... I think my horse is the greatest thing on the planet. I decide I'm going to breed her. This friend of mine has a stallion. She gets bred. And I'm going through this whole journey with her. Of She's going to have this baby. And the night that she gave birth, 
And again, I really had this whole conscious, you know, journey with this, like meditating with her, all these things. The night that she gave birth, she got very sick. She colicked. And in horse world, to colic is to um, either have a gassy tummy or death. And there's a lot of things in between. But unfortunately, she was at the death end of it. So we rush her to the hospital. The baby's like 14 hours old and trying to nurse. She's trying to stand up, get her to the hospital. And at the hospital, they say that she's dead. And I just screamed, you've got to put her back together again. So they do this emergency surgery for four hours. And she came out of it alive, but she was never the same. She stayed alive another two months. But all of a sudden now, I've got an orphan colt. I've got somebody that needs to be fed every hour on the hour. And I'm never putting these two back together again, even if I get her home. So I, she, I wasn't, neither she nor I as souls were prepared for her to leave that night. And so I honestly believe that she was, you know, that as much as it felt terrible that she was in ICU for almost a month and then I brought her home for a week and she went back into the hospital. That was our way of disconnecting. And now my new life was with this orphan cult. And this is like 1995. And again, I'm using the animal communicator. I'm using all these tools. I'd also been learning healing so that I could help my sister who, you know, doesn't like me anyway and didn't want my help. So I used a lot of these tools with the the orphan and I just went through a whole thing of trying to keep the horse alive realizing that I shouldn't have so I went full force with all my healing tools with Pet One while she was in the hospital and when she died it terrified me because I thought did I force her to stay alive for that two months did I make her do this and what I've since learned is of course I can't make anybody do anything I'm not that powerful nobody is (laughs) but I had a lot of those fears and and sadness and grief around it that I I just backed away from healing in a huge way until a year later, Pony Boy got sick. That was the orphan cult. I mean, he had some different ailments. And I went through a whole journey with him for three years. And then eventually I lost him too. So I had this whole period post grief of my sister dying that was very, threw me into animal communication in a way that I would have never done i mean but when you're living in a stall with a horse and you go home once a week to shower in your west hollywood apartment you're kind of in it so i had a very very big what would you call it baptism uh initiation into it but i still i still was trying to get a screenplay done about snowboarding and you know i had all these stars attached and I started learning animal communication somewhere in there while I still had Pony Boy, and but I was going to do it for fun. But somebody happened to interview me from the LA Times about animal communication. And at that point, I was seeing so many clients that barely had time to write scripts, and I was still doing it for fun. And then the funding of my film fell apart, and the next day that article in the LA Times came out. Wow. And I've never, like my 
phone never stopped ringing. Like it never stopped ringing. And I was already busy enough. Like I had to like turn things down because like, look, I'm just doing this for fun. I you know, I was booked like three months out back in the like 97. So I love, I love this. I was just doing this for fun. It's funny. I was just talking with another, uh, unmentor client who we're talking about what does it mean to have a hobby you know and and like like yeah it's just a fun hobby like there's you know like I'm not trying to make money from this and so like that's what you were doing is like I'm just doing this for fun you know LA Times article now I'm booked out don't have time you know getting so much oh but I'm still just doing this for fun and I I'm fascinated by I and I'm sure you still are to this day the timing right of the 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 script not being picked up the screenplay not being picked up and then the la times article coming out launching you into this animal communication world whether you liked it or not i mean in terms of like (laughs) having it be a career yeah no it took it took off and i yeah i had one other thing like that years later 2007 i was uh to yeah i I got surprise divorce papers and the next day I got a surprise book deal from Hay House. So um, I, you know, whenever like something big, again, it goes back to my mother's tone with that whole, like, I don't want you to be disappointed. Like, don't worry. The universe has got me. You don't have to take care of me in that way, mom. Right. Like, I'm, I mean, I, that, I take that, her help now from the other side. Yeah. So that it's that, Oh honey. Yeah. Yeah, but I when now I know something really epic and big that seems terrible is happening. There's, I, I'm literally waiting for what's what's the other what's the great thing that's going to happen now. What a what a great orientation. I mean, it's like our my guest Cinder Ernst, who is in the process of dying, if you will. She has a cancer diagnosis that basically gives her a few years to live, and she's living life large in the most amazing light you'll ever meet. Uh, if you haven't listened to that episode, you're going to want to listen to that episode. And yeah, I, love her. I know she's amazing. And that it's like, it's, she says, what if this was the best thing that ever happened to me? Like no matter what is happening, she got her cancer diagnosis. And within the hour, she's like, what if this is the best thing that ever happened to me? And that's what I'm hearing is what you do is what you're doing essentially is okay. Bad shit just happened. Real bad shit. What if this is the best thing that ever happened to me? Meaning I know that there's something like you're expecting something good, which is pretty awesome way to live. Yeah. I really, I mean, I, that lesson in 97, 98, whatever it was when the LA times article came out, that was, that was, I just, it turned it for me because it was the biggest, seemingly biggest disappointment of my life we had stars attached we had a location we were flying out in three weeks oh my gosh and it just was gone yeah I mean I'd spent years working on that and it was just gone gone and and I could feel that day the the magnitude of how gone it was there it was never going to happen it wasn't like oh let's have funding it was gone Right. You could feel, right. It wasn't like when your horse was colicky and at the end of her life and you could see that there was a way to save her. Like there was no saving that project, which is, 
And maybe there's a connection there, right? Between like feeling like, oh, I kept her alive maybe when it wasn't meant to. And here I have this project that I've been holding on to that it sounds like you accepted maybe more that it was complete, that it was not going to happen and that that created a big opening for you. Yeah, it's funny because there, there, that relates to something else that I was, yeah, it definitely relates to something else. I had skipping ahead and skipping out all the juicy bits of as an animal communicator. So I get, I had a, a really fun run as an animal communicator and I had had this vision that I was going to create this healing center and I was going to, I was going to do it in Denver, but when I lived there and I was married, but I created a little kind of mobile thing with a chiropractor and a veterinarian. And so we'd go to different barns or doggy daycares and we did, you know, maybe one, I would talk to the animal, the, uh, the chiropractor would adjust and the, the veterinarian would do acupuncture. We, we had a whole thing going. It was really fun. We brought cool. on massage therapists, trainers. Yeah. And so that was like, if from the early 2000s, I thought, that's it. That's what I'm going to do. But I've been teaching animal communication since 1998 and energy healing. So I then I moved to Florida with my then husband. And it's like, I try to create it out of the barn where I'm keeping my horse. And then eventually when I got divorced, moved back to Seattle, I was like, all right, I'm creating the healing center. And I looked up, I found a vet that I wanted to work with who she didn't end up working with me in that capacity, but now we have another, I have a second business with, with her called Jill and Joan Healing. We have hemp products for animals and we teach acupressure classes, but I thought I was finding Jill for my healing center. And I had a chiropractor and I had a trainer and I had a special guy for horses feet. And I had this beautiful piece of property and an arena and everything like, so I started bringing horses in and I found I was just managing schedules and cleaning up horse shit. And so I wasn't doing the healing and I was basically managing the money to have other healers come in. And I was like, I've waited for 10 years to have my dream come true. And now this isn't it. How long did it take you? How long were you doing it before you realized it wasn't looking the way you wanted it and feeling the way you wanted I'd say about six months. I, okay. I brought in, I had two empty stalls. I had two empty stalls and I probably brought in, I don't know, eight horses in a six month period. Like work on healing them, get the chiropractor, get the feet right, get their food right, get the nutrition right, get the this right. And I was just like, this, is, this isn't it. It didn't feel right. I didn't know what it was. I, I thought it was that I, was just managing schedules, but I knew, I mean, in retrospect, well, I could have just hired a manager, right? But it wasn't right. And- uh, So I just want to pause for a moment, just because I think that that, it's like when, when I say to people, oh, I just let go of my seven figure business because I wasn't happy. They're like, what? How did like, you know, can we talk about that? So I feel like, I feel like it's amazing that you, like within six months, you had an awareness that it wasn't feeling right. and because so many other people have an experience of just keep going, just keep trying to make it work. But I, I feel like I would just want to acknowledge that you didn't, you didn't, and that you knew there was something that wasn't right. It wasn't just a matter, a matter of 
getting somebody to run it. Cause I tried that too with my business. Like, oh, there's this big part I don't like. Let me just get somebody to run that. But it's still, they were still in my energy field, you know, still in my orbit and it wasn't aligned. So it sounds like at that point you like were more quickly identifying things that weren't right or weren't in alignment and making changes than in the past. Yeah. Yeah. I, it was, it was pretty quick. And when I look back on it, it's like, yeah, if I were in my mind, I could have hired a manager and they could have done all the scheduling and then I could have done all the healing and then I could have brought in more horses and I could have opened up those other stalls and I could have, I could have, I could have. But the truth is, I think that I was really divinely guided because I don't know where I came up with the school, but I suddenly came up with a school, right? Like I in that, oh, like letting go of that thing, there was a giant opening of a dream that, of something that I guess I didn't know I was dreaming up all along. Again. And we have the, your movie, Losing the Movie Project in the LA, LA Times article. We have your, your surprise divorce and your Hay House book deal. And now we have your healing center going away, making room for the next thing. Yeah, that I've been dreaming of for 10 years. But I also was teaching around the country and always thinking, how do I connect these people in Bozeman, Montana with the people that are in LA, with the people that are in Phoenix and not have to be physically in the same space? Oh, enter teleseminars. So I, um, right? So all of a sudden I'm dreaming up the school and literally I'm doing exactly then uh, but I don't think I was dreaming. I think it was a download. I think it came from somewhere else. Like me pushing to be a screenwriter was me pushing. Me pushing to have a healing center was creating an opening for a space for something that wasn't what, you know, I tried it in its many forms. Oh, it's mobile in Denver. Oh, wait, it's out of this barn in south florida oh wait here no it's at my home and it's a huge center and no you know so but i was creating an opening for something big to happen that feels like it was a download like i don't i don't know that i would have woken up one day and said i need to make a school and there's an animal communication element to it and an energy element to it and a nature and wildlife piece like i don't i don't think that's mine (laughs) i think i've just stood receptive to what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, it's an interesting, I mean, we can go on a whole awesome conversation about what's ours uh, and what are we a vessel for? And, right, right? and I, I love the distinction around kind of pushing, you know, it's sort of like when we let go of the how, you know, when we kind of know what's supposed to happen and we let go of how it's supposed to happen. I feel like that's part of what happened to you is you let go of like the pushing and sort of like trying to figure out how it was gonna be and held space for just the bigger purpose for you. And then the how showed up with the school. Very much, very, very, very much. It's it's just so, it's so inspirational for me, obviously, I know I've had, obviously, I know parts of your story through our, you know, we talk weekly in our unmentor relationship. And, um, and I've listened to your, you know, 
your videos and like, there's so much that I'm exposed to, but hearing the whole story in one sitting is just, it's, I hope that people can look at their current situation that where they might be holding onto like a certain how, or they could see that they're sort of pushing to make something happen. And then, and like your early experiences were that the dream was somewhat taken away from you to create space for the new thing. But I feel like you have evolved into a space where you don't need it to be ripped away that you can sense more when something needs to evolve and be that vessel and the school is that. And then, you know, I would love for you to talk about sort of like where this is all going and kind of what you could feel, because I feel like now that I'm in the space where you're with you, where I'm helping you to grow into and evolve into your next phase, I can see how our work together is helping to create space for the next how, like that you have the sense and the vision, but you're right now, our work is to help get the school situated so that you can then go on to, on to the next how with maybe without letting go of the school <laughs> or needing to yeah. let go of the school to create space for the next how. No, I think the school is the anchor. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the school is the anchor. And so what is next for you, John? I, like what is, what is the next phase or the next vision that you feel like you're evolving into or that you're being downloaded, <laughs> downloaded about? Um, well, I feel like the, right now, the animal communication part of the school is in great shape. And I'm just starting to trust other people to help me teach the energy healing part of the school. And so my, like what could keep me up at night is the loss of endangered species on the planet or the amount of endangered species we have. And so my next part of the school is a nature and wildlife piece. And I was just talking this morning with, I have a person that helps me with my content. And I said, you know, other than doing, you know, when school is off this summer, other than painting and doing things around the house, I want to really focus on the uh, we have a subscription thing that we're going to do called the passport to wildlife and but it's all part of a bigger thing so if you look at my school it's like i always say it's like a pie or a peace sign and um part of that section is animal communication part of it is energy healing and then the other part is nature and wildlife and so i really you know the nature and wildlife if it were to be a certification it could be you know combining um, well, I call it the spiritual naturalist, right? Like you would be um, as above, so below, right? You'd be interested in astrology, but you want to know what the flora and fauna is that you're walking upon as you're looking at each species, what its needs are and how we make sure it's still there. And the, and the other thing about that would be also really looking at like, well, these animals survived off the land this way and we're taking that away, but what people did, what indigenous healers did. So I feel like it's a whole huge, delicious adventure for the school. Like that's that's the next phase. But but the animal communication, because I always say that animal communication could lead to world peace, right? Like if we could really be that empathic with animals, we could learn from that 
and take that into our human relationships because for whatever reason, we're not doing it as humans. So the animal communication and the, and the energy healing are the foundation of the school on the one hand to make space for us to really, okay, we understand it here in the domestic, our household. How do we take this out and heal the planet? How do we go out and make sure that we've, we've got lions and mountain lions and wolves and, you know, apex predators walking the planet, but also, you know, those manatees that are all dying in the, the river down in Florida. Like what, what do we need to feed the water? What, what's, you know what I mean? So it's the whole as above, so below it's the earth. It's the, what is keeping us all buoyant here. How's that? Beautiful. It sounds ah, amazing and big and expansive and big. like you need like someone who's going to hold space for that needs to not be weighed down in any way. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, I've worked hard and you're helping me with, I mean, why I came to you is it's the, you know, knowing what you've done for other people. It's the having that infrastructure be so solid that I could step away and meet an indigenous tribe in South America and find out what's happening to pink dolphins, right? Like, let's do it. Yes. Yes. I love it. So we highlighted some of the lessons you learned along the way, your journey, your dark, dark decade of the soul. Is there, what other lessons have you learned along the way to where you are now that you think would be helpful for other mission driven entrepreneurs to know? Well, I mean, I really think that your commandment number four, trust that your struggle serves your mission. Like there's, there, you know, after a while you, you get, you get privy to that. But at first it just, you feel like, God, why are all these things happening to me? But they do all link up and connect and use the, like you just, they become your tool bag. The, especially for the empath, like all those things that you think were tough experiences are really, that's like your Mary Poppins bag that you just pull like the lamp out of, you know, it's every single thing does add up to serve your mission if you if you get out of the way uh, and it, you know i hate that we victim shame so it's so there's a certain amount of you have to you have to almost stay in like a victim to process the emotion and then evolve out of it so that you're bringing that thing with you but it's it the, the trick is managing not staying in victim does that make sense Yes. Yes. And I, I appreciate that orientation of victim shaming. So what you're saying with that is that when people identify themselves that way, or even when we don't allow ourselves to have that label for a certain period of time, you're saying that, that it possibly impacts how we're processing and, and like metabolizing that experience for our good. Yeah, I mean, it'll just keep showing up until you finally process it. For so it's okay to be, a, yeah. Sure. So it's okay to be a victim for a bit to then use that, yeah. to add that to your Mary Poppins bag. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. 
because it, it's like grief. We don't know what the timing is on that. You, you're, it's your process, but then you making that your process becomes a prescription for someone else. You understanding what, that there is a process um, will help you help someone else Beautiful. or an animal. Yes. Beautiful. Yes. Someone else or an animal. So beautifully said and so true. Uh, I know from the guests that I've interviewed on this show that trauma is a very common thing and it's not treated as such. <laughs> it's, it's, it's treated as, a, oh, there are some of us who have experienced trauma um, and we've all experienced, especially people that are up to big things uh, you know, on this planet or in their life. And they, they feel that they are mission driven, you know, trauma seems to be, in my experience, uh, you know, uh, almost like a requirement. And I like the orientation of saying that, yes, at some point in that trauma, there is a space for recognizing and owning our, our, the victim space so that we can use it as part of our, you know, GFR commandment number four, knowing that your struggle serves your mission, that we can take that struggle and name it and claim it. And what is our lesson and what is the superpower that we got from that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can't have a superpower without it. Yes. I love that. So thank you, Joan, so much for so candidly sharing with us the journey of how your superpower came to be, you know, the grief that you had to uh, walk through with your sister dying. And then even the process of your sister having an AIDS diagnosis. And, and then of course, you know, your horse, your horse and pony boy. And I mean, there's, there's, so much along your journey. And I'm so grateful that you came on the show to share it, to really um, help the listeners and all of your followers that are going to hear this, just kind of see like it all has its purpose. And to, would you say like to have faith in that? How, how would you say it? Because you'd have faith in that or trust that, or what's the joke? Yeah. I mean, well, at first there's a lot of cussing involved. But oh, I, we, we know I love that. <laughs> well, I've always said that I'm the cussing animal communicator, which is what I think I wrote to you at first while we were in that meeting. Like, I love that you say fuck a lot because it's my favorite word. Um, but, <laughs> Such a bonding thing. <laughs> yeah, I think you have what well, you yeah, I mean, it's so easy for me to say, oh, yeah, just trust the process. But, um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> We, we are in process that that's, you know, we're in process now as souls here on the planet. And I mean, at some point, I think we get to drift when we're between lives, but you know, we're here to grow. We're here to do it. So yes, we are. Well, I'm so excited I, yeah. that we get to do yeah. it together. Yeah, me too. Me too. All right, Ms. Joan Ranquette, this was amazing. Thank you for sharing so candidly, and I adore you. And I adore you, and I'm grateful for what, for you, and for how you're helping me and my team and my school and my students and my teachers and on and on and on. It's my pleasure, really, really my pleasure.
Well, that was super fun. And what a an amazing journey I feel like we went on. <laughs> you know, uh, Joan talks about the animal empath journey and being connected to that for yourself. And I feel like we really got up and close and personal with her journey. And I hope that you take away an awareness of where you may be pushing to make something happen um, in your life versus really responding to what the universe is showing you. She gifts our listeners her communication with all life guided meditation. There's a link for that in the show notes. And she also has this amazing Facebook group called Learn to Communicate with Animals, where she does a Facebook Live uh, every week in there. And it's a very thriving community for people that love animals, want to learn to communicate with animals, heal animals. So I would check that out if you want to snuggle up closer to Joan. Really, really great community. And make sure you join the GFR squad at gfr.life forward slash squad. If you've been meaning to haven't done it yet, it's only $20 per month. Um, or you can go for the whole year at $200 and you will get access to all of the bonus sessions from our guests, including my first animal communication experience. So that's the, the, the bonus video that we did. I call it animal communication 101, Lisa talks to Jones dog. So that is already uh, in our membership waiting for you. And if this is your first experience of the GFR show, please subscribe. If you're in a podcast app, go ahead and subscribe to the show so you don't miss any or go to your favorite podcast app or pick a favorite podcast app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and subscribe to the GFR show so that you stay inspired and you know that any struggle that you're going through has a purpose. See you next time.